Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where we bring you the latest in the worlds of computing, technology, science, and everything else in between. During each episode, a group of Ars staffers will dig deep into some of the issues we've covered on the site. We'll also talk about some of the other stuff we're doing when we're not circling the Ars Orbiting Headquarters. I am your host, Senior Apple Editor Jackie Chang, and on this week's show, we have Associate Writer Casey Johnston. Hello. Associate Writer Andrew Cunningham. Hi. And Social Editor Cesar Torres. Howdy. So this week we decided on a podcast topic based on old services that we used to use and then eventually abandoned. Um, Cesar and I have been talking about this a bit just in general and the reasons why we like leave these services and, you know, and mostly the reasons why we leave them have as much to do with us and how our own perspective changes over time as they do with the services themselves. So uh, we just thought we'd get everyone together to talk about these things and just kind of reminisce on the ghosts of Internet past. And um, so I, I'll just start out, I guess. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you guys ever joined, or especially Andrew and Casey, you guys are a little bit younger than us, but did you guys ever join Friendster when it was around? No. No, no I was never, never on Friendster. I heard, I, I, I think by the time I got to, even MySpace, I think Friends, Friendster was like a distant memory by the time I was like oh, onto social, social networking services. I like how you guys basically laughed when I asked about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only I only ever hear about it like from like secondhand because I never used it. I think there I think the only significant thing I remember hearing about it was that there was like a friend limit or something and it would, you know, grate on the very popular people or something. Yeah, I mostly I mostly hear it used as like a punchline like if somebody's making jokes about 2002, that's when Friendster gets brought up. Wow. <laughs> Now, the thing is, I don't actually really remember there being a friend limit. There might have been, but <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, Cesar, you said you used it? I did. And at this point, I was already in the workforce and out of college, and people in my office were starting to use it. And this was when I first noticed that weird voyeuristic feeling of the internet where you could see a friend of a friend on Friendster. But I remember it being kind of really dorky. I mean, that, that's the best way I can yeah. uh, classify it. I mean, back then when Friendster was around, that was still before, like, the general public was kind of on the internet en masse. So, like, yeah, it was kind of dorky. Like, everyone who was there was basically just there because we were the early nerds on the internet. Um, but I, I remember Friendster, actually, the way that I remember it is that it was a lot more like Facebook than it was like MySpace for some reason. I remember that. Friendster was a lot more about just creating these relationships with all these people and just kind of having this insular like group of internet people. But there wasn't a lot that happened on Friendster, I don't think, at least not for me. Um, it was more about MySpace when everyone moved to MySpace, when, when there was a lot of social interaction there. Yeah. Oh, MySpace, um, we can't forget about the specter of MySpace. <laughs> I I had completely forgotten about MySpace until we just started talking about it. But um, yeah, that was that was like God. MySpace really sucked. Now that we're looking back on it, it there was it was just a mess. And it's kind of funny how MySpace is sort of like the follow model. It's like it's like Twitter, right? Like you could you did did there have to be reciprocal friendships? I don't even remember. I don't think so but i yeah i can't remember either it was like you could like follow people 
I'm pretty sure you didn't have to because wasn't the, the huge joke once you used it long enough that some kind of stranger would say, thanks for the ad. Remember oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes, I think so now, was adding back then. now that you say that, you're right. I think a lot of people could follow you, but you didn't have to follow other people. Yeah. And that's why it was great for like, I mean, it had its downsides, but it, I guess it was in that sense great for like brands and like, I think, I think like bands still use it quite a bit. Which is really, really sad to me. But yeah, that, that's the only time I'm ever on on MySpace because for regular people, it took like everything that you hated about the internet in the '90s, like really unfortunate like font and color scheme decisions, and really loud music that would play automatically when you landed on the page, and it just it just made it universal. So you couldn't visit a MySpace page without having to deal with that stuff. Yeah, I think they were at their peak when average users were really kind of flocking to it. And then when brands caught on to it, I think that's when the transition started towards other services. And so you had Facebook and Twitter eventually replacing it. But the company itself, MySpace, went through a lot of problems as they started losing money and advertising. Eventually, they more formally said, oh, we are here to represent artists, most of them bands. And I think that to this day, that's still kind of the the main focus. But I think a lot of people cheered when, when they moved away from uh, their social services because they just looked terrible. The design was atrocious. Well, do you remember MySpace? Back in the day, that was when services like MySpace still used to allow users to basically use their own like HTML on the pages. <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine a service today that's like, yeah, everybody can just insert their own code into their social networking profile. Like that's insane today. But back then that was like the thing. And that's why it looks so horrible. <laughs> it's because no one, no one has design skills. So um, it all just well, looks like crap. People also had no shame then either. Cause you're the pages that like all, like I remember some girls pages would have like flashing sparkly stuff, just like all over the page. And like, Oh God, it was, but that was traumatic. And I, in a way, MySpace was kind of like a weird extension off of um, like LiveJournal, which is sort of similar. I mean, different, but similar in that you could just make it look like horribleness. Um. <laughs> hey, and- <laughs> my LiveJournal was restrained and beautifully designed because I used one. I, I think I used one of the stock like things, but yeah. Yeah, even, weren't even you? those were not awesome. Like there, were, there was one. I think it, it was supposed to look like notebook paper or something, but like the font would never line up with the actual like lines on the background of the page. It would just looked, <laughs> it looked really terrible. Andrew's been carrying this grudge for the last ten years, just waiting for a podcast where he can <laughs> express his frustration oh, with <laughs> with the alignment. So you guys, I know that Casey and Andrew wanted to talk about LiveJournal. I never actually got into the LiveJournal thing, and I tended to get into like all the social stuff back then. But that was one thing I didn't quite get into. Why was LiveJournal such an attraction for you guys? Uh, Andrew, you go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I guess I always had this sense that I wanted to be writing more than I was, and so... I got on LiveJournal initially just so I would have like a place to put my thoughts, but you know, I was 18 and when an 18 year old gets a place on the internet to put his or her thoughts, it's mostly going to be like pining over crushes and like (laughs) dumb stuff about how many papers they have to do. So I, I still have my LiveJournal account. Like all, I've made all the posts private a few years ago, 
But um, I went back through and was reading them uh, a couple weeks ago for some reason. I don't even remember why. And they're just like, it's just, it's really like superficial, just really embarrassing stuff. So um, I think I kind of outgrew Live Journal because I outgrew wanting to have that stuff up on the internet where everybody could see it. Yeah. Um, I got into it. My, one of my friends was on it and, uh, she like made me make one and, um, (laughs) I, so I made it and I, I think I, I always wrote a lot when I was a kid, like in a, in a journal. So this basically became like my new, like literally online, you know, journal. I just sort of like transferred all of that, like spewing my, (laughs) my thoughts and complaints everywhere onto this online forum. And I actually got my very first troll comment on my very first live journal post. Nice. So that was pretty, that my, my, that's like my first internet milestone. I feel like, cause like that it, I'm actually almost positive. It was, I know who it was. It was somebody I knew, but they used like <laughs> a, you know, throwaway. Um, but yeah, I, um, I wrote on it for a long time, like a few years, starting when I was in high school. And just when I got to college, I think I didn't have – I wrote I wrote a lot about my job. I worked at um, a grocery store and then at Best Buy. So once that wow. fodder was sort of gone, <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't really have – I think maybe I just didn't have like the, all of that contact with people who I felt were very – annoying to me, I guess. I mean, I was a teenager, like, give me a break, but, um, (laughs) so I I think it just sort of fell off from there. It was like my, my complaining about my job forum. And then I sort of moved on from that. So by the way, I think this is why, um, there are rules against like teenagers joining all these services. It's not to protect the teenagers in terms of like predators. I think it's to protect them from their future selves when they look back and are are like, Oh my oh, yeah. God, why did I publish that on the internet? It's yeah. like, it's like us old people watching out for our younger selves. Yeah. I had, <laughs> I had no restraint when I was, that, I know when I was that young. It was the same way. I wasn't on LiveJournal, but I I had a blog. I mean, same thing. Even though I wasn't even as young as you, I was like, I was, when I started my first public blog, I was in my first job out of college. But the same thing. I was constantly writing about just way a lot of stuff that I probably should not have put publicly. Um, I wasn't making anything up. I mean, I stand by all the facts, but, but it's like, you know, in retrospect, you're just like, oh God, why did I do that? And so, you know, I can see why a lot of people sort of grew out of that eventually. Yeah. I think that that might be, I might be the one person, just one half generation removed because I think high school and then definitely college when I first got internet access, and we're talking like early internet before the web. (laughs) Uh, When I graduated college, I really wanted to take advantage of everything I had from email, which at the time was really just a way to communicate between universities, uh, and, you know, use it to, to keep in touch with people. And Hotmail was rolled out in the 90s when it was good, <laughs> I thought. And I used it for about a year because I, after college, I went away for almost a year in uh, Ireland. And I forced family and friends to sign up for it 
because I wanted to keep in touch with them. And so what reminds me about what you guys are saying is that so much conversation on the internet used to be kind of private, more or less. Uh, and then everything just kind of blew outward. Now everything is as uh, exposed as can be, really. And that happened to LiveJournal, MySpace. It's the same issue we see with Facebook. You know, now it's about sort of spreading it as far and wide as you can. <laughs> you know, back in the day when I was writing about um, more social stuff on ours, um, and MySpace was still popular, I used to really, and it wasn't just me, but I mean, in general, there was the idea that Facebook was so much more private than all these other services. Because back then, you really did have to have that mutual like relationship, and only those people could see your updates uh, back when Facebook first started. And now, obviously, it's very different. You know, The default is that everything is public, and, and Facebook is constantly being taken down by privacy groups for making things too public. But, um, yeah, I think at the time, that was like a big thing. You know, it was just barely beginning to be like enter the public awareness that we were all oversharing too much. <laughs> um, and unfortunately Facebook didn't really embrace that as like their main business model. But, um, but yeah, I, I think certainly there was a time when things used to be way more private and then they went way too public and there was kind of like sort of back and forth since then. There was a, we had, we had like a, there was a phase where everyone had this fascination with hearing everyone's like quote unquote real thoughts and feelings and all of that stuff. But then it just became kind of boring for like once, once the initial sort of voyeuristic thing was over, it's like, you know, when the very first season of big brother was on TV, it was fascinating to just like watch people be real with each other or like real world or whatever. So I think that that sort of window became boring very quickly. Well, I, I don't know if this is like a, a more general thing, but I know like the way that I have approached like social networking has changed since, since like the old live journal days where I thought that every little thought that I had in my head was like worth publicizing is I, I think a lot of people now use their like Facebook pages and Twitter pages and whatever social media, you know, presence that they have to kind of present a very controlled like specific version of themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I'll, I'll totally cop to doing that now on Twitter. I used to back when Twitter first started in 2006, I, I very much treated it kind of just like an extension of my own world where I was just blasting everything out. But um, mm -hmm. since then, I mean, I do, I basically treat it like a controlled version of my public personality. And that sounds kind of like, an annoying thing to say for, for all those people who follow me and, and think they love my personality. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a very carefully controlled slice because the thing is, uh, anything that you say that you might eventually regret, I mean, people will keep that stuff forever. I mean, I have ours readers who are still holding on to links to things that I posted on the forums, like in 2001. I mean, we're talking like 12 years ago that people are still holding over my head. So, <laughs> So, so kids, don't post things on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will, I will uh, also argue the other way. I think for, for us, everybody that's here in this podcast today, and probably the listeners too, what you're hearing is that we, I think we grew up, right? Like we actually became less 
childlike and more adult. And these are like the painful experiences that teach you how to have the inner world and then that outer world that you put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I also have made mistakes and there's things I regret um posting out there over the years. But I think in some ways it's kind of inevitable because you have to experiment in order to figure out what your actual like ethical guidelines are for your privacy or just your, you know, your personality online. So I know that a couple of you guys mentioned to me earlier, um, other services that you used to use. Like, um, I think Cesar, you mentioned BrightKite. Oh yeah. I used to what really even, love BrightKite back in the day. What even is BrightKite? I've never heard of it <laughs> yeah, before. Ex- explain this to me. Oh my God. <laughs> Get to the time machine. We're going to Jeez. go back. It's not even that old. <laughs> That's the thing. No, I can't. I can't be bothered to Wikipedia this. So you guys need to tell me what it is. I can't either. Well, do you want to explain it, Cesar? <laughs> yeah, it's going to blow your mind because there's a service today that uh, eventually beat <laughs> BrightKite at, at what it was doing. But uh, BrightKite was one of the first. Um, it was a service that was also on a on the iPhone iPhone one. And that's how I learned about it. At the time, I actually knew somebody um, that eventually introduced me to Jackie. And they were between him and Jackie and then some other friends. They said, oh, we're using BrightKite. And all you did, it was real simple. It could map your location. (laughs) And then you would just check in, right? You just check in where you were. And then it would broadcast that as a little announcement to your friends. Like, Jackie checked in at you know, Hancock building in, in downtown Chicago. And um, I liked it because it had this sort of spooky feel. There weren't too many users. So when you would see these check-ins, sometimes you might think, oh, I might see someone interesting there. It was kind of voyeuristic. Uh, but as you can probably guess, you know, because it seems sort of desolate, is that it never quite caught on. And so over a few years, they really pushed for it. You know, that they tried to talk to companies and get them to do check-ins at conferences and like sporting events. But uh, guess who actually turned out to be the, the winner in that race? Foursquare. I mean, well, not Foursquare. not just Foursquare. I mean, now everyone does check-ins, right? There's like, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, mm. Yelp and Facebook and all these other things. I think BrightKite is, one, is basically an example of a service that was like just too early for its time. I mean, nothing was particularly wrong with it. I think it was just before people really got into the whole checking in thing. And so back then it was just kind of weird. You you were just like, why do I care that you checked into this restaurant or whatever? Um, but then, I mean, it was not very long after. It was maybe a year to 18 months later when Foursquare started. And um, and then, of course, Foursquare was around for a little while before Skype and Yelp, or I'm sorry, not Skype, uh, Facebook and Yelp got on board. Um, and now, of course, all those guys do check-ins like crazy, and poor BrightKite is still kind of figuring out what, what's going on. Wow. That's so sad. <laughs> it is super sad. I, I loved it a lot. But there came a moment, I don't know if I ever talked to Jackie about it, but I just said, okay, I'm done with this account, because nothing really happened in it. Yeah, I totally abandoned my BrightKite account. <laughs> I didn't use it too much, though, but I mean, I basically don't use it anymore. But admittedly, I don't really use anything else either. Like, I never quite made the jump over to Foursquare. And so I've kind of, ever since um, I started getting more and more weirdos following me on the Internet, I basically kind of abandoned checking into places. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. very curmudgeonly about that. Like, I, I don't care where you are, and I don't want you to know where I am, <laughs> so. Yeah, I think 
Jackie, we had a discussion about this very briefly a while ago, but it was sort of like the value there's like checking in can be sort of if you're if you're worried about people like, I don't know, stalking you or whatever. It can be a double edged sword because it can be like, oh, I'm right here. Come find me. But it can also be like, oh, I'm missing. This is where I was last. Yeah, I mean, certainly I feel like there is some you know, certain times I might check in on Facebook or something, like if I'm somewhere extremely public and I don't really care that people might see me. But um, I found that it was kind of a combination between weirdos on the internet and actually friends. I mean, of course, we all have friends that we love, but you don't always want to see everyone all the time. So the problem for me was that sometimes I would check in somewhere with certain people and then other people would see it and just be like, oh, why wasn't I invited? Or why didn't you tell me about that? And so that's yet another, you know, it's yet another way in which you're just like, oh, I'm actually exposing too much on the internet and I'm making people feel like they're excluded. And so I kind of just sort of decided to stop doing that. You know, it's funny that I get still some questions sometimes from older generations, like, what should I do? What, you know, what's this check and stuff all about? I think for anyone, I basically recommend just don't do it. And then the day you decide to do it, you know, just figure out why, you know, like, like you said, sometimes there are moments like you go to Lollapalooza or you're at, you know, the presidential rally, whatever. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, I, I just feel like it raises the risk of social awkwardness and potentially just kind of danger. Like, if you're not at your house and I want to go rob your house, well, how awesome is it when you tell me that you're out at dinner? Because now I've got two hours to open the door and take all your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there have been reported cases of that. I mean, not for I'm out to dinner, but for people like posting about, I think, mm, did I write about this? I think there might be an Ars Technica article about this, but about <laughs> who knows? people yeah. people who go on vacation and then post about it on Facebook and then they get their houses broken into. Like, I think... I don't know if this is a thing, but I think there was a, a story where it happened to, or there was a, I think there was like a Bonnie and Clyde sort of couple who were like watching their, they were watching Facebook for updates like that. And then they would figure out where those people live or they would already know maybe because they knew them and then they would go and rob their house. I used to, so. back, I used to really feel like whenever those stories would pop up, that they were so freakish because I was like, well, you know, there's always the chance of some person trying to break into your house no matter what. But um, but I think you're right in that, like, a lot of, I mean, with a lot of crimes, it really is just like someone who is who you know or someone, maybe not like a good friend, but someone in your circles. And so, yeah, if if people see that you're not home, then they might come and (laughs) raid your house. Although, you know, admittedly, like I still post pretty publicly as most people know on, on Twitter and stuff when I'm traveling, mostly because it's because I'm traveling for work stuff. So it's like, you know, everyone who reads ours knows that I'm covering Apple events. So it's not exactly a secret that I'm not home. So I think it is certainly a balance. So what else, like, what do you, what else do you guys have that you um, joined and then abandoned at some point? Well, I think we all have mentioned email services, right? Mm-hmm. We we started. Yeah, we started. You <laughs> you said that you had joined uh, Yahoo Mail at some point, right, Andrew? Yeah, oh. I was. I was on. That was my okay. When we first got on the internet, I think in like 1997 or 1998, we were on AOL, like everybody. I think who who was on the internet at that time. And then um, we moved away from that, and so I lost my AOL email address. So I made a Yahoo Mail address. And um, by the time I was graduating from college in um, 
in 2008. Like one, I needed a less embarrassing username to put on resumes. What was and, your username? Um, oh, it was terrible. It was um, it was Bob seven three one seven four nine six. I was so hoping for something way Bob. worse. No, it wasn't. It wasn't even. It wasn't even something that made sense. It wasn't even like like Chewbacca dude ninety two or something like. Pikachu, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I love you. Yeah, no, yeah. That would have that would have been preferable. And then the um, the career center at our college, actually, and I've heard this from a few other people, Casey, who are like our age, said that um, employers think that like gmail.com addresses are more professional than addresses from other places. Have you have you heard this ever? I think there have been surveys that have corroborated that. It's like a, it's like a subjective thing. But um, yeah, I think that's that is it's sort of not a hard and fast rule, but it's something like people will just make a Gmail rather than take that risk of being seen with a, you know, yahoo.com or whatever in public. Yeah. But my, I guess my jump was less about features that Gmail had or didn't have and more about like, it was just time to change my email address and Gmail was the up and coming thing at the time. Yeah. I think, I think I did actually like Gmail's, Features I liked. I liked that you could archive rather than delete. That was like that was huge for me. Um, the conversations. I don't think this was like the default, but by the time I switched to Gmail, the com- the conversations like threading was a feature that it had. And it, initially, I hated it, but I, I came to love it after a little bit. So yeah, I had Hotmail like back. I think that was my first real email address after AOL and. Um, <laughs> That was an abomination mainly because, I mean, Gmail, the the greatest feature of Gmail is the one you never see, right? The spam filtering, which was just awful on Hotmail. Like, I think I got more Hotmail mail back when I was 12 or whatever than I do now, even though, like, <laughs> nobody knew my email address then because it was just so much spam. Right. So, so here's how my transition went. I left my university email address behind because eventually they, they – withdrew it, right? Like, I think you had a year after you graduated where you could use that domain. Then Hotmail for a long time. And then I got Mac.com as my um, provider, right? So that was through Apple. And then when I came back, I was out of the country again. And I came back in 2002, the Gmail invites were going out. And I remembered I snagged one. So I think I've kind of stuck with a lot of that. I mean, I have multiple addresses now, but Gmail has been consistently solid, and sure enough, every email scan, it's all, you know, for the ad pushing, but I like the service they provide. I, I still, there's a lot of reasons why having a Gmail account is a good idea. Wouldn't you guys agree? <laughs> Maybe Sorry. not. Maybe it's not very popular at all. <laughs> I mean, I had, I got uh, a .Mac account back when... Uh, I first got my my very first Mac computer, and I did not. I think I didn't like it that much. Like it worked, it worked really well with the Mail Mail dot app, but I just I had I had like an iWeb account too. I think I made one of the websites, but it just I don't know didn't didn't really click with me. I guess. Yeah, I was kind of a I came to the Apple ecosystem pretty late. I didn't I didn't actually buy my first 
iPhone until 2009 and that was the first Apple thing I'd ever had. So like by, by the time I was buying them, like I already had established email addresses and I just wasn't interested in, in, uh, in using it. Like I've got an iCloud email address, but I've never, I, I think I've turned it on to, for articles like twice and then turn it back off and never used it. I actually think that's more than I've done. Cause I've never, even, <laughs> I seriously have never even turned on my iCloud stuff or back in the day, dot Mac and then mobile me. And I, you know, I guess by then it's just like you said, like by then I kind of already had all these other email addresses. So I never really got into it. Plus, um, even, even in the olden days when there was iTools, um, and then dot Mac, like I never quite trusted Apple with email stuff. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's not that I really trust Google either, but, um, Google at least kind of does email for a huge amount of people, whereas Apple, relatively speaking, it's a small a small slice. So I don't know. There are people that, on the upside, Apple has done a good job of migrating people over who have been around for a long time. So people have had, um, like, .Mac addresses since 10 years ago still can get their email. Um, so that's good. At least they haven't, like, changed the domains or anything like that. I still just generally now recommend for people to buy their own domain and generate an email address out of that. I think really that recommend is, that? I, I still do. I mean, the spam filtering, all that stuff, uh, there's a reason why you should have a separate Gmail account or Yahoo, whatever you want to use. Because you can you know sign up for your Nordstrom.com and your Zappos <laughs> newsletters with those. that You can filter as much as you want. But if you're really going to do, like one-to-one messaging with like your friends or family, I feel like you should just, you know, control your own data, meaning whatever you write is yours. Sometimes when you agree to sign up for other services, they either can scan the email for, to, you know, to put ads against it, or they can do, they have partial ownership, right? Over the, the content that you have in there. So if that's one of your concerns. I mean, just get yourself your own domain and it's not that hard to do. I mean, I, I do agree that that's a good option, but I feel like a lot of people don't really... I mean, ours readers obviously probably do know how to do that, but regular users, I mean, getting their own domain and setting up an email would be difficult, I think. But then again, Google makes it easy if you wanted to set up like Google Apps um, for your domain or whatever they call it now. I think it would be cool to maybe poll the listeners of the podcast because we know some of them are not always the Ars Technica reader. Sometimes you guys are just picking us up because we're on iTunes. Uh, we'd love to know if you're what you're using or if it seems difficult to get your own domain and get an email address on it. You know, maybe that's something that we can write up as a post. Uh, we are probably bumping up right around the time where we should cut this off. So I will take that opportunity to do so. Um, yes, please tell us your crazy stories about... Um, services that you joined and abandoned in the comments and um, we'd love to hear them. And maybe we'll even include a poll in this, in the post for the podcast. So, um, so yeah, thank you for listening as always. Um, please feel free to leave us feedback on iTunes and SoundCloud and also on ours on the post with the podcast. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. So thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.